you so much. Thank you, Kathy, for playing. What a blessing. Folks, thank you all for singing. Amen? I thought the senior adult group did a fantastic job, didn't you? Yeah, give them a hand. That's awesome. Well, your Bible's open to the book of Acts. And I don't normally do this, but I'm going to kind of just do a topical thing this morning using this little statement, this Jesus. So I want you to follow along with me in your Bibles, though. So your Bible's open to Acts chapter 1. Four or five times in the book of Acts, you see this little statement, this Jesus, where usually it's Peter, but whomever it is is emphasizing the, the humanity, but also the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the fact that just as He came bodily into this world to redeem us from our sins as the Lamb without blemish, He is going to return to this world. The very same Jesus is going to come back. You know, if you're studying that, I have systematic theology uh, books uh, that study all the doctrines of the church. And so one part of the systematic theology is the study of Christ, okay? And there's three different fields of study when you study the doctrine of Christ. One would be the personhood of Christ, the person of Christ. And I have several other books on the person of Christ. Uh, the work of Christ would be another. Uh, so you have the, the person of Christ, the work of Christ, and then the life of Christ. Today, we're going to kind of deal with all three of those truths when it comes to what is said about Christ in the book of Acts. So your Bible's open here to Acts chapter 1, and I'm going to read just a verse or two in chapter 1, and then we'll move to chapter 2. Acts chapter 1, these are familiar verses. We read them earlier uh, a couple of times. But Acts chapter 1, uh, verse 8, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in, in white robes. Again, I'll just mention that could be angels. Uh, many time, Well, every time angels appear, they appear in the masculine form. So it says two men. It possibly could just be two angels who look like men. But anyway, two men stood by them, by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? Here's the first one. This Jesus, this Jesus, who was, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw Him go into heaven. Now go to chapter 2. We're going to pick up at chapter 2, verse 17. Now this is Peter preaching, okay? First, this Jesus was the angels telling the apostles that this Jesus, this some translations say this same Jesus, this very Jesus, this God incarnate, this uh, the Son of God who became a human being. It's this same Jesus 
that's going to come back. That's what the angels were saying. This is Peter preaching uh, when others, yeah, at Pentecost. Says, and, and in the last days it shall be, verse 17, God declares, that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants in those days, I will pour out my Spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapors of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And there shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord Jesus shall be saved. Aren't you glad for that verse? That's right. Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with many mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through Him in your midst as you yourselves know. This Jesus... Now listen to what he says about this Jesus. This Son of God, this, this God in human form. This Jesus, now read, look at your Bible, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. Okay, So we know from reading the book of Hebrews, we, we know from Scriptures that, uh, and even from the Psalms that this work, the work of Christ going to the cross, the Redeemer, His birth, His life, His death, His burial, His resurrection, and His ascension were all planned. And the Bible says, before time ever was. So in the heart and the mind of God, God ordained that Christ, His Son, the second person... And by the way, He's... Jesus Christ, you know, Christ is not Jesus' last name. His full name isn't Jesus Christ. Jesus is His name. Christ is His function. Christ means the anointed one. So He's Jesus the Savior, the anointed one. He is God's Son. He's the incarnate Son of God. He, but He's the eternal Son. What we mean by that is, is when you read the Bible, you find that Christ was pre-existent. He, when He took on the form of a man, that means He was pre-existent. I mean, so Jesus didn't begin to exist when He became a human being and became a Jewish man. He's eternal. He's the eternal Son. He's always been the second person of the Godhead. He's always been the Son of God. He's the eternal Son. So eternally, He would have always, always submitted to the role of the Father. But in this, He submitted and came to earth to be the Savior of mankind. So Peter in his sermon says, This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. Now, of course, God planned it. Look what he says. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. And then he says, God raised him up, loosing the pains of death because it was not possible for Him 
to be held by death. It's impossible for, for the grave or for death to hold Jesus. Look at verse 30. Peter's still preaching. Being therefore a prophet, and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, David, knowing that he was going to have a descendant to sit on the throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ. That he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. Verse 32. This Jesus, God raised up, and of that, Peter says, and you can imagine he's standing there with the apostles. We are all witnesses of his resurrection, is what Peter says. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, He has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. Of course, you know this is Pentecost, and He gave utter the tongues of fire landed on these apostles, and they began to speak languages they didn't know, their native tongue. They spoke languages that were not native to their own tongue. And these folks were hearing the gospel in their own languages from every part of the world. So... So he says in verse, uh, being therefore exalted to the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, Jesus basically has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens. So David isn't the Christ. Christ is the anointed one. David, he's in the line of David. David was king, but David wasn't the eternal king. Jesus is a descendant of King David, but he's the resurrected eternal king. So he says, for David did not ascend. You've got to think, he's preaching to Jews. It's at Pentecost, a Jewish feast. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand, until I make your enemies your footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Let me read that again. And by the way, Peter's preaching to the you know, I mean, of course, there's a massive crowd at Pentecost. But the very same political leaders that had Jesus crucified are standing around. Okay, So they're also part of the crowd. So this is about the third time Peter mentions their guilt in cruci crucifying Jesus. So he says, Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made Him, Christ, both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. I can remember, I mean, I've been cut to the heart many a time, and I'm sure you have too, under the conviction of the Holy Spirit. But still to this day, I can reflect, my mind's eye can go to the scene and the feelings I had to some degree when God cut me to the heart when He was calling me to be saved. You remember that yourself? Remember that? That uh, as, as uh, this cut to the heart is a great description of what happens when the, when the proclamation of the Word and the work of the Spirit do their work. It says, now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. And they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, 
What shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are afar off, everyone uh, whom the Lord our God calls to Himself. I just want to read all that about salvation. Go to chapter 4. Look at chapter 4, Acts 4. Now this is the scene where, this is after Pentecost, not long after Pentecost. Peter and John are going to the temple to pray. It's in the afternoon and they, they heal a man who's lame. And uh, this is kind of the, the context of that. Um, picking up at verse 5. It says, on the next day, Acts 4, 5. On the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander and all who were of the high priestly family. And when they had set them in the midst, they inquired, by what power or by what name did they do this? I want to know how in the world did this guy get healed. And so, then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed? Let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by Him this man is standing before you well. Verse 11. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else. This Jesus. There is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name, Jesus, under heaven, given among men, by which we must be saved. Now let me read a little bit more of this narrative. It's so interesting what happens here. It says, now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, they're, you know, they're from Galilee, they're not trained scholars, they're fishermen, Okay? So when the Sanhedrin, the scribes and the Pharisees and the Sadducees who make up the Sanhedrin and the priest's family who make up the Sanhedrin, 70 plus 1. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, 
Now, one way they did that was the scholars tell us, and I mentioned this a couple weeks ago, the accent of Galileans was, was different. So they perceived that they were uneducated. They didn't say they're stupid. They just weren't formally educated. They were uneducated common men. They were astonished. And I love this. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. Folks, it's this same Jesus that we need to be walking with too. It says that they had been, they took note that they had been with Jesus. It's that same Jesus that people ought to know you and I are still walking with. Look what verse 14 says. So they took note they'd been with Jesus. I've got good news and I've got bad news. The good news is we're going to have lunch. The bad news is I can preach longer. That's what it says. It says preach. It says meat. Obviously the meat's not ready. That's what it says. Running late. Please preach two hours. No. Now it says, now it says 12 o'clock. It says, so I'll, I'll take my time. Okay. Anyway, I've never get notes like that. That's exciting, isn't it? Yeah. Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. I don't know what to do. Um, so, it, so they recognized that they had been with Jesus. Now folks, think about it. It's this Jesus. And it's, all the things we've already learned, it's the same Jesus is going to return, right? The same Jesus that was crucified is the same Jesus that ascended. This is what they're telling me. That same Jesus that, that they crucified and that was risen from the dead and was witnessed, that same Jesus empowered these men. It's this Jesus, this Jesus, that you and I have a relationship with. It's this Jesus. But verse 12, verse 14 says this. So verse 13 says they recognized that they had been with Jesus. I like that. We talked about that a little bit in our early study this morning, but people noting who, who you're walking with I can remember when uh, now I was I wasn't saved till I was a teenager. Now, so let me say that. So I was a heathen up until I was sixteen, and I was a pretty I was a bad child, and, and uh, that's what my parents said. <laughs> so, but I wasn't. I always thought I wasn't as bad. I had cousins that lived in Gadsden. Bonnie knows them or knew them, and his name he was a little older than me. His name was Larry. And he was, I knew he was bad, but I recognized. Anyway, so we, if we ever went over there, which we went over there a lot, or they came to our house in Weaver, 30 miles apart. And, but if I would go over there and stay, usually my mother would not let me spend the night. Because the longer I stayed with Larry, the more I acted like Larry when I got home. And I can remember many a time I got a, a beating or a spanking or a beating. When, and part of the conversation was, you are not going to act like Larry Preston when you get in this house. Because I would be prone to act like him, talk like him when I came back. Well, here, 
it was noted by the Sanhedrin that these common men from Galilee had been walking with Jesus. Can the same, can the same be said about you and me? It's the same Jesus. It's the same Jesus. He empowers us. You know, this is why it's very important that you understand the theology. The same power the apostles had, the same teachings, the same moving of the Spirit, that same power is ours. It's the very same Jesus. It's just in spirit form. The Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians 15 that Jesus became a life-giving spirit. For that's how we say, that's how you can even say Christ is in me. Or you can say, uh, bring him, you know, invite him into your heart. Because he is a spirit. The Holy Spirit represents him. And so you can have a relationship with this same Jesus by the word and by the spirit. But then he says in verse 14, but seeing the man. See, they wanted to punish Peter and John again. They had already incarcerated them. But they wanted to punish them. They wanted to, to, to say something about what had happened. But they had recognized they had been with Jesus. But then it says in verse 14, But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them. And folks, there's a, there's a lot of things that agnostics and atheists and those that are opposed to Christianity can say about Christians. They can mock us. They can deny the truth of the Bible. Whatever you want to say, think, they can do. But there's one thing they cannot deny. And that's a changed life. They cannot refute a new creation. When somebody, whether it's this man or somebody else, that has been made new, has been made a new creation... Now, I know this was a physical miracle. I realize that. But Jesus did physical miracles to prove that He could do spiritual miracles. So the power of Christ that healed this man is the same power of Christ that makes me and you new. So the, the testimony here when you're just reading about this Jesus is, is that this Jesus made this man new. So this Jesus that we worship, has He made you knew. These two points. And are those that are hanging around you, do they recognize that you have been with Jesus? Now when you think about this idea of this Jesus, now just a couple of things theologically, and then I'm just going to share with you four or five simple points about this Jesus. What does this Jesus mean? What does it mean when the Bible says this same Jesus? What does it mean to me and you? But the first thing I want you to recognize is what Jesus said about Himself. By the way, do you know that He was crucified because He claimed to be the Son of God? Ultimately, He was crucified because He claimed to be the Son of God. He is the Son of God. He's the eternal Son of God. Do you know that many times we... There, there's an Aramaic word called Abba. Oh, Paul uses it. In Romans, Abba, Father. Do you know that 
a lot of translations mention that Jesus used the word Abba a lot when He spoke about His Father. Do you know that the Bible says that 131 times Jesus... Now think about this. 131 times Jesus called God His Father. He said He's my Father. So when we think about this Jesus... We're talking about deity. The, the verse I, I read in Hebrews 1.3, it says he, he's the icon. It's the Greek word icon translated. He's the exact imprint of the Father. So here, here's what we know theologically. Everything that God wanted us to know about His nature, everything that He wanted us to understand about the Godhead, Jesus was and is. So this Jesus that we read about in the Bible is the very same Jesus that was in eternity past with the Father. This is the Jesus we worship. This is the Jesus that has saved us from our sins. This is the very same Jesus that's going to come back. He's the very, Now think about what you're saying. He's the very Son of God. And by the way, now that He's ascended back to the Father... Hebrews 1 tells us that He, Christ, the Word become flesh, now ascended, sustains everything in the world. He upholds the universe. That means the laws of nature that we see every day, the rising as we see it, the rising and the setting of the sun, all of that is controlled by the Lord Jesus Christ. And by the way, that is interesting. Because when you read the book of Revelation and you begin to see creation come apart, the sun and the moon not give their light and the stars fall from heaven, you know who has power to do that. It's the very Son of God who sustains those things. So when we think about this Jesus, the, the big picture I want you to think about, we're talking about God's Son. And you know when the Bible says, because I get confused, or not confused, but sometimes when you think about what Christ did, you make it too simple. You know, when we think about Jesus died for us, right? We know that's, that's a cardinal truth of the Christian life. Jesus died for us, right? But when we think about that, we usually just limit, we limit that to His humanity, but who, all of what Christ was as the God-man, it was the God-man that died on the cross. Now, death couldn't hold Him, but it wasn't just a physical act. It was a spiritual act. It was an emotional act. It was God dying for sinners. That's, so when we think about the, the, the deity of Christ, we've got to think that when He gave Himself, He gave all of Himself. That's exactly what Paul means in, in Galatians 2.20. Uh, you know, I've been crucified with Christ and it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself. He's the God-man and gave Himself for me. So when we think about this Jesus that we worship, we're worshiping the Son of God quickly. I'm going to read you some stuff and then we're going to look at four or five simple points you can make application. 
Personally and willingly, Jesus took the form of a man. It says He took the form of a man. Morph. Okay? He didn't become a wicked sinner. But He did take on the form of a man. And the Bible said was tempted in all ways like us. So He took the form of a man. Now we know the Spirit was the Father. The seed was planted by the Holy Spirit. And we know that Mary was overshadowed, so her sin nature did not affect Jesus. But we know that, that He took on the form. We think about Philippians 2. It's called the kenosis passage. You don't care about the name. But it's the word that means self-emptying. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Though He existed in the form of God, He did not think that form was something to grasp onto, to hold onto. But He emptied Himself. Taking on the form of a servant. And even to the point of death is what He argues. So personally, Jesus on His own as the Son, as God the Son willingly chose to become the sacrifice for man. He was the God-man. He gave Himself. What Jesus did, He paid in full the sin debt for all who would believe. This is where I was reading this week, and I don't know if you think about stuff like this, but in all the individuals that are mentioned in the Bible, most scholars would say the two most important names in the Bible would be Adam and Jesus. Or as Paul calls him the last Adam. Because the argument is that you, you are a descendant of the first Adam. And you're born in sin. Adam sinned. He passed on that nature to everybody, every human being. So you're born in sin. So all of us are descendants of Adam. But there's the last Adam. Who when you follow him and are born by his seed... Uh, that's why the Bible says you're born again from an incorruptible seed. When you're born again by the power of His seed, you're cleansed and made whole and you're promised eternal life. So Jesus is the one as the second Adam that came and paid the sin debt. That same Jesus promised us power to live a godly life. You know, we are justified by faith. That's judicial. But then He sets us apart for sanctification. But He empowers us so He can say, Be holy for I am holy. And as a matter of fact, Paul argues that the model that we follow is Christ. Uh, Ephesians 4, uh, to mature manhood. It says that our, all of us are pursuing that we're to grow up into the full stature of Christ-likeness. So Christ is the measure of, so this Jesus that was being preached 2,000 years ago is the same Jesus that we want to imitate His life. We have to know what his, the book says about Him and we want to live that life. One other thing I want you to think about, and this has nothing to do with theology, but it is interesting, and I read it this week and it kind of struck me as being unusual because I, I've really never walked, worked through this in my mind. But you know, when Jesus was uh, when Jesus was resurrected, let's just let's just look at this. And we talk about we know that one day 
we're going to have a resurrected body. And the Bible says we're going to be like Him. We're, in many ways, what Jesus did in those 40 days of appearances when we read about what He did kind of gives us a little bit of an idea of what a resurrected body or what we might say a glorified body is going to be like. But I've really never thought through this until I've read it again this week. But when Jesus, in His resurrected form, okay, He appeared as a, a gardener. Remember when Mary Magdalene is in, in the garden and Jesus, the tomb is empty and she's weeping and, and worried that she can't find the body and, and she meets Jesus, right? And what did the Bible say? It says, you know, she thought he... So whatever he was in his resurrected body, for that moment in time, he looked just like a gardener, so to speak. She mistook him just for a common gardener in the garden that, that morning. On the road to Emmaus, he just seemed like a traveler. But yet he was in his, in his resurrected body. But then there were other times he would say, you know, he would do things that were absolutely incredible. I even go back to the... Uh, they saw his glory. You know, Peter, I think about going back to... The, this is before the resurrection, but he goes back and when Peter, James, and John went to the Mount of Transfiguration with Him. And, and Jesus was transfigured. Now, I don't know, I wasn't there. And Peter doesn't talk a lot about it, but he does mention it in, in 2 Peter. But, but when Jesus was transfigured, metamorphosed, somehow God pulled back part of His... Now, this is during Jesus' earthly ministry. Somehow, on that mountain the Father pulled back some of Christ's humanity, some of the covering that He had, and they saw more of His deity. Later on, when Peter wrote about it, he never got over that. He always remembered the glory that we beheld on the mountain. Folks, it's also that same resurrected glory that you and I are going to experience when we see the Lord Jesus. This is the Jesus. Now, I wrote down three or four things these are simple, but they may make application. So just listen to this. Number one, I'll have to read these because they're quite long. What does it mean when we say this same Jesus? I want you to think about these things. This Jesus. This is the very same Jesus that people like me and you have been preaching about, teaching about, and witnessing about for 2,000 years. And it's how God gives salvation to lost people. So for 2,000, it's this Jesus that Peter saw, that the apostle saw a sin, that Peter preached about to the Sanhedrin. It's that very same Jesus they crucified and was resurrected from the dead. It's that Jesus that for 2,000 years People like me, people like you, have shared His name, shared His Word, and that's how God has chosen to save sinners for 2,000 years. It's this Jesus. There's, there's no other Jesus. It's the Son of God that we share 
in order for people to be saved. That's why I went on and read Acts 4.12. For there's no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. This is the Jesus that we love and this is the Jesus that we talk about. This is the Jesus that, that we must preach about in order for people to be saved. This is the Jesus that we must know in order to answer the agnostics and give a defense of the gospel. So, my first thought, this Jesus is the Jesus that's been preached for 2,000 years. It's how I got saved. It's how you got saved. It's how everybody in heaven, this side of the cross, has been saved by the hearing of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Think about that. This is the Jesus that we preach. Number two, now think, think of this. It says, He's the Alpha and the Omega. This Jesus. He's the Alpha and the Omega. He said that about Himself. He's the first and the last. He said that about Himself. He's the beginning and the end. He said that about Himself. He's the founder and the perfecter of our faith. Hebrews 12.1 this is Jesus our Lord. Think, the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last, that's the one who is the author and the finisher, as I remember in New King James. He's the author and the finisher of what we believe in. The Bible says He's the author and the finisher of our faith. Who designed the plan of salvation? Who designed it? God did. The Trinity did. The Father, Son, and Spirit. And the book of Hebrews tells us they did it in eternity past. Paul says in 2 Timothy, he did it in the past. Before time ever was, this is how folks would be saved. Christ is the eternal Son. I mean, all this is in Revelation. You know, he says he's the Alpha and the Omega. It's when he reveals himself to, to John in the Revelation, in Revelation chapter 1. He, he says, I'm the first and the last, the beginning and the end. I have the keys of, of, of death and hell. I'm the Savior. So first, we, we know that this Jesus is whom we proclaim and have been proclaiming for 2,000 years. Number two, He's the very eternal Son of God who authored our salvation. Who designed the church? Who planned for believers to get together in small groups, so to speak, in a called out group of people and meet on a day a week. Who designed that? Christ did. That's why the Bible says He's the head of the church. His body. We could get in. I mean, we could chase rabbits there, but th this is what Christ has done. He's Lord. And this is what we mean when we say Jesus is Lord. We're confessing that He's the eternal Son who came to save us from our sins. So first, it's this gospel has been preached, this Jesus, for 2,000 years. He's the eternal Son who founded and perfected our faith. You know what the Bible says about being an overcomer? I, in 1 John, it says that we overcome. You know, we overcome the world. And John says, what is it that overcomes the world? And along with that would be the devil and whatever. What is it that overcomes the world? And 
And he answers that in 1 John, our faith. Our faith in Christ is what makes us overcomers. I think about the the seven churches that Jesus spoke to in Revelation 2 and 3. He says to every one of them, He who overcomes, I will grant, I will give. He who overcomes. I'll tell you what overcomes is our faith in this Jesus who is the very Son of God. Third thing I wrote down was this Jesus, this Jesus said, follow me. Of course, we we know He did that when He called the disciples, but this Jesus said, follow me. But then later on in John's Gospel, this is what He says. I think, He says, where I am, where I am, there will my servant be also. This Jesus. So this Jesus says, follow me. And then the Lord follows that up by saying, wherever I go and wherever I do, there my servant will be. Now obviously when Jesus said that, it was in John 12 and He's getting towards the end of his life. He was still on the face of this earth. But folks, it's this same Jesus that we follow. So today, 2,000 years later, the Word of God still says, wherever Christ is, there will my servant be. So folks, we, we every moment of every day are discerning what Christ would be doing in every conceivable circumstance And that's where His servants want to be. They want to be Jesus in every one of those circumstances. Paul defined that as having the mind of Christ. He also called it holding every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. So we, even though we're removed by 2,000 years, we still know Christ. It's this Jesus we follow. So it's much like what the apostles did when they walked on the face of the earth. Wherever Christ is, that's where we want to be. So it's about the gospel. It's it's about His eternal control being the Alpha and the Omega. Being Lord. Jesus is Lord. It's about following Him and wherever He would be, that's where I want to be. I wrote down a fourth thing that says it's this Jesus saves completely. Now think, think about this. This Jesus saves completely. Think about how much you sin even though you're saved. I, mean, I, I don't want you to stand up and tell us, but I could tell you about myself. You know, Every moment of every day you struggle with sin and, and sometimes I lose that struggle. Often I lose that struggle. So think about how unworthy, even though I'm saved, we know I'm saved by grace, you are too, justified by faith, that's judicial. It's not based on works, lest any man should boast, Ephesians 2. We know all that. But when we think about how wicked we are, how is it that God keeps our salvation? How is it that we are secure? How is it that even though I do stupid things and sin, that I know today there's no way I could go to hell? Now listen to what I'm telling you. There is no way. I don't care what I do. I'm not going to hell. How can I say that? How can any believer say that? 
Well, listen to what I wrote down. It says, this Jesus, this same Jesus, as Peter would preach, saves completely. Because He's alive. Now think about where He is. He's alive. And, and, and of course, we know from reading the Bible, He, he went up in bodily form. And, and it seems as if He still had the nail prints from the communication He had with the disciples. He, he ascended. He still had the nail prints, which I think are important. He ascended. I don't know. He's there wherever there is. It's a dimension we can't see, but we know He's there. So, but Jesus saves completely because He's still alive. But you know what the Bible says He's doing? That's right. That's incredible. Say that again. He's mediating. We might use the word interceding. He, the Bible said, this is where He's our advocate, just like the Holy Spirit is. He pleads our case. So your salvation is secure. You are justified by faith. All those things are true. But Christ ascended. This Jesus ascended. Conquered death, hell, and the grave. Appeared for 40 days. Went up into heaven and is at the right hand of the majesty on high. And the Bible says in Hebrews, ever living or living forever to make intercession for us. This is where the passage says in Hebrews, He's our great high priest. He's living. Because let me tell you something, you are guilty. I'm guilty. Now I'm not talking about being lost. I'm, talking, I'm saved. There's no way I can go to hell. But I'm still guilty of sin. Christ is at the right hand of the Father pleading my case. And by the way, wherever that is, but we can't see it, but it is real, He's pleading my case with a nail prints in His hands and feet in the, the holiness side, if I understand the Scriptures correctly. So, this Jesus, that's the gospel we preach, this Jesus is eternal, but this Jesus saves completely because He lives to make intercession as our great high priest. This Jesus is building up His church with living stones who have decided to lose themselves so they can be placed in His body. Think about that. The Bible says that there's many things he says about building the church, but Peter describes the church as living stones. That Christ is the cornerstone and, and in salvation He saves us and He makes us alive and He does. And we're called living stones. And Peter argues that those stones are placed in the frame of the cornerstone, Christ. So we as living stones are placed in the, in the structure to help the church be the church. But that stone is alive because this Jesus made it alive and He's planned whatever that stone is supposed to do. Let me think. You remember in the Old Testament when they were building the, uh, the tabernacle? The temple, I mean, the first time. And remember the, the hammer and the stones? They were quarrying... Um, the rock for the... This is the temple. And they were laying the foundation stones and, and uh, I 
well, maybe it's one of the Kings Chronicles, but they're, they're quarrying the stone. But remember what the Bible says? They're, when they brought it to the temple, like when they got to the, where the temple was being laid, and they were going to put the stone in place, guess what they could not do? Can somebody answer this? They could not use a hammer or chisel in the temple. It had to be perfectly hewn at the quarry. Well, guess who does that for us? Christ, this same Christ. He's made me a living stone and He's perfectly gifted me to be placed in a body to be used for His glory. And not only me, but the Bible says He does it for everybody whom He saves. So the building up of the church is you, a living stone, offering yourself for the sake of the body, which is His church. This Jesus is not, this is how I wrote the whole thing. This Jesus is building His church with living stones who have offered up themselves as a sacrifice, losing self. Here's another one. This Jesus has overcome the world. John, Jesus said in John 16, The last end of verse 33 says, In this world you will have tribulation. John 16, 33. In this world you will have tribulation. But be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. So this Jesus that we worship and serve is the Jesus that has overcome the world. He's the Lord of life. He's the teacher of truth. And He's the master of the way. Here's the last one I wrote down. This Jesus, this same Jesus, builds the church, saves eternally, saves completely, demands us to follow Him. The last one is this Jesus disciplines everyone He redeems. Say it again. This Jesus disciplines all whom He redeems. And He does that because in the book of Hebrews it says, so that we may share in His holiness. As a matter of fact, the writer of Hebrews makes a good argument. He says, we discipline our children because we love them. Right? Right? But then he says, so if you claim to be a child of God and you're without discipline, because he says, all those He saves, He disciplines. He says that everybody He saves, He disciplines. All His sons, He disciplines. So later on in Hebrews, He says, So, if you are without discipline, then He makes this emphatic statement. 
you're not one of his. He calls you illegitimate. You're an illegitimate child. So this same Jesus that Peter preached, that they saw a sin that's going to come back, this same Jesus, yes, he's building his church, demands our disciples, but he disciplines everybody he loves. And if you're without discipline, the Bible says, then you're not born again. So it's this same Jesus that we worship and serve today. Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed and our hearts are open unto the Lord. And This morning I'm just going to close with prayer. We're not going to have an invitation, but with our heads bowed and our, our eyes closed, I just want you to think about the claims of the Scriptures this morning. This same Jesus, the very Son of God. Think about the demons that met Christ and they said to Him, We know who You are, You Son of God. You Son of the Most High God. That's the Jesus that we know. That's the Jesus that we serve. Satan said to him, if you are the Son of God, really he was saying, since you are the Son of God, turn these stones to bread. That's the Son of God. That's the Jesus that has saved us. That's the Jesus we say we love. That's the Jesus we say we're going to follow. This Jesus. who changes lives, who sets the captive free. This Jesus. Father, we love You and thank You for Your grace and mercy. Father, thank You for the boldness of the apostles. Father, it's obvious that when the Spirit came, they were infused with an unusual power. And that power was focused upon the proclamation of Jesus crucified and resurrected from the dead. Because it's this Jesus that can save us from our sins. Father, I pray that what started 2,000 years ago would continue to be faithful in this local church that that will continue to teach and preach this Jesus. The very Son of God, born of a virgin, lived without sin, died in our place, placed in a tomb, resurrected from the dead, and ascended to the right hand of God the Father. Lord, help us to live for this Jesus. Now, Lord, thank You for church life and and the fellowship we enjoy. And Lord, thank You for all the many, many hands that have prepared our food. And So, Lord, in advance, we thank You for the food that we're going to have. Lord, not only pray for the food and those that have prepared it, we we pray for the fellowship that's going to be ours as we sit at the table. Father, bless the church, bless as the church gathers and transitions from worship
to the fellowship of, of the body. Lord, we love you and thank you for what you're going to do in Jesus' name. Amen.